Um, so this morning we are uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we are in chapter 6, and we're covering verses 7 through 29. The title of this morning's message is Martis. And no, it's, uh, there's not a misspelling up on the uh, screen. It's not martyrs, it's martis. And we're going to learn what that word means. It's, uh, it's a Greek term. And uh, we're, it, it's something that is um, critical for us to understand, um, for us to also exemplify in our own lives uh, this very word. And so let's begin by reading. We're in, again, the Gospel of Mark in chapter 6. We're going to read four verses. So we're going to go to verses 11 and 12, and then also 17 and 18. So let's go down to verse 11 of chapter 6. It says, and if, and, it, and if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Let's skip over now to verse 17. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, as we come this morning to study your word, I ask, Father, that you would give us understanding, that your Holy Spirit would teach us um, Lord, these truths, Lord, what we have before us, as you've called us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, uh, to testify of the truth, biblical truth, not our own truth, not the world's truth, or it is not truth if it is opposed to your truth. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you clearly lay out what indeed is true. Let us be witnesses of who you are, how salvation comes, and how we ought to live our lives. All to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So the testimony of truth. To testify of truth. And we know in a court of law, uh, that person is in the place of the witness, uh, swears before a court of law to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? This morning, we're learning about the importance of the Christian testimony of truth. As we think about that, though, because I've heard a lot of truths, at least our perspective of truth, we ask the question, what truth? My truth, your truth, the world's truth? From my perspective, your perspective, my interpretation, your interpretation. And does it really matter? It does matter. And I hope for us that as Christians, we profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, right? And we are called on by God to proclaim the truth. Not our truth if it deviates from God's word. Not the world's truth for sure, because what they do is they, they gaslight, right? They deceive us. They manipulate what is actually true. 
but as Christians that profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, that claim to be representatives of what is true. We ought to pay special attention to how it is that we are to act as, follow through with, and know truth as it is laid out to us in the Word of God. We're looking this morning at how the apostles were specifically sent to testify of the truth, and then we have an example of what could possibly happen if we proclaim the truth in John the Baptist as he testified of the truth. In fact, I was thinking of Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, how it is that Jesus said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes." It is something that Jesus taught. This is exactly what will take place as you're speaking what is true. We're looking at who was sent and how, he was, how they were sent. And we're looking also at the example of someone who lived out what we just read. This is an example of how we as Christians are also to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, whose the word became become flesh as in accordance to John chapter 1, verse 14, and testify of what is truth, especially as it pertains to who Jesus is and the good news of salvation by grace through faith in him. When we misrepresent Jesus, it is a big deal. And so that is why we need to be witnesses and testify of who he truly is. Again, this world is, uh, preaches a lot of love, but really what they're preaching is a lot of tolerance, uh, a lot of compromise. It, it's the world's version and definition of what love is. But love, well, the word tells us that God is love. And God is truly compassionate and loving, but he does not tolerate sin. And he is just, and he's also just in, in bringing forth judgment upon that. So that's why we need to testify of who God truly is in every sense and correctly. Remember, Moses misrepresented the Lord. Uh, the Lord had told him to, to speak to the rock. And instead, what did he do? He was upset. He was angry. And, and he struck the rock, right? That cost him something. Entering into the promised land. 
Listen, we need to, we need to represent the Lord accurately. Before Jesus' ascension, he said to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Witnesses testifying of who Jesus is according to Acts 1.8. Listen, whether it be in pain or peace, we as Christians are to proclaim what is true according to what is written in the Bible. Not what we or anyone else determines to be true, but what God has determined and proclaimed as truth. Again, as we see it laid out in Scripture. You see, truth has not changed and will never change. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why we can stand with confidence on the very word of God. Truth is absolute. Paul was a witness for Christ in all circumstances. He's a great example of that. After Paul had his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, Ananias was called on by Jesus to come to where Paul was, lay hands on him, and pray over him. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Speaking of being a witness and testifying of the truth. Uh, the title of this morning's message is Martis. And our English word martyr comes from this Greek root word of Martis. Martis sometimes carried a legal undertone as a person who testifies before a court. Again, giving true testimony of what the person knows to be true. So the word had the common meaning of one who testifies, a witness, from which we get our word martyr. Martyrs, you see, are witnesses who are willing to die for their beliefs and principles rather than renounce them. The question, you know, we ask is why? If you were faced with that decision, renounce your faith and you live. But remain in your convictions, in your faith, and you die. What would you do and why? Do you know why you would do what you would do? Listen, the reason why martyrs stand in the face of death and continue to proclaim their faith Standing confidently in the truth of God's word is because of the hope that they have in Christ. There's nothing to renounce. There's everything to proclaim and declare. Come what may. It's because we will be held accountable by God of the things we say and do by the standards or the standard of God's word. There's only one standard. It's God's word. Christian martyrs are witnesses to their commitment of biblical truth and Christ Jesus the Lord, even at the cost of their lives. 
So let's take a look at how Jesus' 12 apostles were sent by Jesus to proclaim the truth and what happened when John the Baptist proclaimed God's truth. So we'll see them uh, called and sent to preach truth and repentance, and we are encouraged to never back down. Verse 7 of chapter 6 of uh, the Gospel of Mark. It says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their, their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Called and sent. Jesus Christ is our Savior, therefore, He is to be our Lord and our Master. He is our God. Jesus, you see, has purchased us with His lifeblood, knowing salvation by God's grace through faith in Him, in the Son of God. We have willingly yielded or surrendered our lives to the authority of Jesus Christ, to Him who shed His blood for us. We belong to Him. In full, we belong to Him. And these 12 apostles are specifically called on in this moment and ought to serve as examples for us today of the Lordship of Jesus Christ over us. What do we do when we are called to go, to go do something, to proclaim the gospel, to be witnesses, to, to testify of his word. You see, his word had authority over them. And it is to have authority over us today. They were called and sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the truth. And this, this is how he sent them out. Number one, two by two. This is important for us because this is the buddy system that God has told them and assigned for them to apply in the sense to go out and serve and minister the word of God. Secondly, he sends them out, giving them authority over unclean spirits. And thirdly, he sent them out with nothing. No provision, no protection. By the way, there will come a time as we go through the gospel of Mark that uh, he does tell them, hey, listen, take a couple of tunics. In fact, take a sword with you. And, but at this, at this moment, there's an important part of this. Uh, it, it's, a, it, it's a time of learning, of growing. And so for this occasion, as he sent them out two by two, six teams of two, he told them, go out without provision, no protection. How Jesus sent them was important. It was important that they learn how to rely, rely on their brother, to rely on one another in time of need. How to work together. How to trust each other. How to watch each other's backs, especially as they made themselves vulnerable to the varied circumstances and environments they would encounter. Can you trust your brother to watch your back? To... Be on the same page as you as you move forward. You're both vulnerable. 
There's no provision or protection. They also, this also taught them how to be especially vigilant, acutely aware of their surroundings, circumstances, and discerning of what was necessary and what was not in the moment. Um, so a cloak is more like a jacket. A tunic was more like a, a shirt. And so you could say the Lord told him, don't go out with layered clothing. Just wear your T-shirt, some jeans, some sandals, and uh, no jacket. Just, just go. So they had to be aware. They had to, they had to be discerning. They had to be alert. This is what they were being taught in the moment. This is actually something that Paul had learned. In fact, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And verse 11. This is not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the secret, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Why? Because there's contentment in him. If we were to lose everything, not have anything, would we still praise the Lord? Would we still have joy? You see, I, I, sometimes I hear it preached, you know, well, you know, it doesn't mean that we'll be like outwardly uh, an, outward, an, an outward expression of happiness and joy. Well, why not? Have you ever visited a third world country? Anybody? So they have nothing. They have nothing but hardship. And have you ever seen them? They have happiness and joy. You know, for us Americans, we can go to a country like that and say, how can you be so joyful and so happy? You have absolutely nothing. Because we have Christ and we have everything in Christ. Yeah, we have nothing outwardly as far as the, the world is concerned. But we are not bankrupt. We are content in Christ. That's why as I think about going to Haiti, and I remember the first Sunday service that we had just with some sticks that made up the framing that they brought these messed up tarps to put over. And the people came, literally. I don't see any... Take your chairs and let's walk about a mile down the road. Imagine that. Uh, some of you pick up some of these tables and we're going to walk about a mile. That would be what they were doing. They were walking with, with chairs if they brought chairs. 
And by the way, they were dressed up for Sunday. They were excited about Sunday. No matter if it was daylight savings or not. They brought their own chairs and whatever it is that they had, if they had them. And they worshipped. They sung. They were filled with joy and happiness. And then they'd go back home. And we visited some of their homes. They would sit us down, share in their love of Christ. Whatever it is that they had, they'd offer it to us. They love coffee with tons of sugar. Remember sitting down and, and drinking that first cup of coffee black, but man, it was sweet. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. These apostles of Jesus Christ were learning this very lesson, something that perhaps we ought to learn ourselves. Peter, he learned something very valuable. He learned to be watchful and discerning. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter. He learned this lesson. You see, Paul suffered many things and learned to be content in the Lord. And Peter had a great understanding of how the enemy works to deceive and manipulate the, the thoughts that he had in his own mind and lead someone to even deny Jesus three times and say things that are contrary to what is true. After all, it was Peter that was told, get behind me. Satan? But he learned. And then he exhorted and encouraged the brethren with 1 Peter 5.8. They both learned and exhorted the believers to trust Jesus and to be focused on Jesus and his work. To be aware of the enemy's tactics and avoid them. How can you tell others to trust God for everything if you don't? If you're filled with worry, anxiety, and concern for your own life, you cannot effectively tell others that they should, worry and should not worry, be anxious or concerned about their lives, but just simply trust in Jesus Christ. You know, I have Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 memorized, and so you should commit them to memory too. You mean I should not worry and be filled with anxiety and concern for life just like you? Romans 8.28. That should be what we express every day of our lives. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This was the very lesson the apostles were learning as Jesus sent them out two by two. Learn to be content. Learn to trust in Christ. Work with one another. 
Be loyal and trustworthy toward one another. And go to do this. Preach truth and repentance. Verse 10. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, what were they preaching? What were they teaching? Well, back in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is exactly what they were to go out and preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. Who is this that is walking with you? More, more accurately, who is this that you're walking with? Oh, he is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited Messiah. As he sent them, he, Jesus, told them not to be going from house to house. Don't go house to house, but rather stay in one home the, the entire time that you're in that town. As long as they will, would receive you, stay there and then preach in that town. But if the people in that, that town reject you and your word, they were instructed by Jesus to, number one, leave. Just leave. Secondly, shake off the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. In John chapter 8, this is why we, we need to know God's character. Right? I was even thinking about, uh, you know the story of the prodigal son? No, because I'm telling you, um, as the church, it, it's real easy to say what you would do if you were in my shoes, honestly, right? There's armchair quarterbacks everywhere, not just for football. But when you know God's character, when you know what your place is, it doesn't matter. You do what is right before the Lord. For instance, the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. Let me ask you this. Did the father go after the son? No? Unanimous? Was that a no? No. Right? The uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, how did Jesus address them? Did he pursue the people or did they come to him? They came to him. Uh, he called them sons of Satan, called them liars, deceivers, vipers, just laid out, right? At the same time, he asked them, hey, don't, don't hinder the little kids from coming to me, right? 
Don't do that. Don't make one of these little, little ones stumble. It'd be better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and for you to be thrown into the depths of the ocean, the sea, than for you to cause one of these little ones to sin. You see, we understand God's grace, his love, but we also understand that God does not tolerate sin. We need to understand his character is what we need to understand. That's why we go to John chapter 8, verse 42. And it says there, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And and, and he was talking to the religious leaders of the day. Very direct, right? And so we think about, as we go back to how it was that Jesus was training up his apostles... He was telling them, go out. Speak the words that I'm giving you. And if they don't receive them, they don't hear them, then leave and shake off the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. You see, as we consider John chapter 8 and those verses that we read, Jesus responded in a truthful and direct manner to those who were spewing false words. And then he moved on, doing the very will of the Father. He was exemplifying exactly what he was telling his apostles to do. If they do not receive your word, leave. In the same manner, Jesus was telling the apostles to learn how to do Likewise, they were to go out to the villages to preach the gospel. In Luke chapter 9, verse 2, it says, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. The gospel includes a call of repentance, to turn from sin. And it was after Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness and was tempted by Satan and had heard of John the Baptist's arrest that Jesus began to preach repentance. Repent, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. From that time, Jesus began to preach, according to Matthew 4, 17, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's how he started. And that's how he continued all the way through. And then when he was up on the cross and shed his blood and gave up his life for our sake, he said, To tell us it is It is fulfilled. It is complete. The payment has been made on your behalf. Now you understand. Repent and believe in the sacrifice of the son. I paid for your sin. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying to the whole world. That's what he says to the whole world even today. 
Why repent? Well, without repentance, the kingdom of heaven will not be known by the person, by the individual. When Peter preached on Pentecost, the people asked, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. At the moment that you genuinely repent and give your life to Jesus Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that seals you for the day of redemption. Is your guarantee. He indwells you. Repentance and believing is the responsibility of the individual. Otherwise, there wouldn't be anything to be held accountable for. How does one respond to truth? Listen, Romans 10.9, if we confess it, uh, Jesus, and, and I'll just give it to you this way. If we confess that Jesus has lived, died, and was buried, that he rose from the grave after three days. If we confess that, we believe that. God raised him from the dead. The Bible says that we shall be saved. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But the individual has to confess this, has to repent and turn from their sins and run toward the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Luke chapter 10, verse 13. This is as we lead up to <clears throat> the next portion it gives us an account of what we're leading into. You see, John the Baptist was a witness of the gospel. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. This is what they were building up to. John the Baptist had already understood what it meant to proclaim the gospel, come what may. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 6, it says, And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The apostles were not to get hung up on rejection or persecution. Rejection, they understood and had to learn, was not personal, but ultimately the rejection of God's word and God's grace. Their very own rejection of the gospel would serve as testimony against them. For you, you've been sent out to preach truth, the need to repent, and for you, as you are sent out, to simply pray for them. And move on. Keep going. There's more work to be done. So called and sent to preach truth and repentance and finally never back down. 
We, uh, <clears throat> we read Luke chapter 9, right? And uh, the account in the Gospel of Luke. And now let's read through Mark chapter 6 in verses 14 through 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' Jesus's name had become known. Uh, some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John whom I beheaded has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked him, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word with her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother when his disciples heard of it. They came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. We read the account of Luke. It was very brief. It was a few verses. Luke emphasized Herod's confusion as to who Jesus was. And even the fact that he sought Jesus out to find out exactly who he was. Herod knew what had happened to him. He himself had him beheaded at the request of Herodias, or at least Herodias's daughter, who was Philip's wife, and that was Herod's brother's wife. Mark emphasized the events that led up to John the Baptist's death, and so that's what we have before us. Why? Because John the Baptist served as a witness of truth, testifying of God's truth, even if it meant his life. There are people today that will remain silent because they are more fearful of man than they are of God. Many will not say that abortion is murder, but murder is sin. And abortion is indeed murder. Many will not say that homosexuality is sin, but the Bible says it is sin. Many will not say that gossip and lying is sin, but it is indeed sin. Many will not say that tolerance of sin is compromise in sin, whether implied or explicitly encouraged or supported, but it is sin. Many will not say that idolatry is sin, placing anything before 
God and trusting in it. But it is sin. Why? Because we ourselves are compromised. Herod was compromised. Therefore, he would not stand on truth. James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That covers a multitude of sins right there in that, just that one verse. You see, King Herod had taken his brother's wife as his own, and John the Baptist called on him to repent. John told Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. John the Baptist was not tolerant of his sin. Why? Because he knew that God was not tolerant of his sin. He let him know specifically what Herod's sin was. It wasn't in a general term like, hey, you know, you're in sin and you know. Like, no, you have your brother's wife. And that is not lawful. Lawful according to whose standard? That's important. Lawful according to God's word. God's standard. And then Herod knew that John was a holy and righteous man. He was a man of God. He, he would listen to him. But his only response was that he was puzzled, baffled. He was confused by him. He heard the word. He heard the gospel. Never seeking to understand or receive truth. It says in the last days there will be many like that. Hearing but never arriving at an understanding. Hearing, but never really under, like uh, knowing how to apply God's word. You see, what was happening with Herod and what is happening with many people today is something that we had already studied in Mark chapter 4. It is the actual work of the devil as he works to steal and kill and destroy, according to John 10.10. 10. Because Satan steals the word that is sown when it falls on hard soil or the path that is trodden down by the world. And because Herodias, Herod's brother's wife, had a grudge against John, then an opportunity arose to have him killed. She took it. Oh, here's my opportunity right here. It's time to take him out. It was a setup. That's what Satan does. He sets up. He manipulates and lies and deceives in order to steal, kill, and destroy the gospel and whatever word is planted in your heart. And Satan used a birthday banquet. Of all things, it should be a celebration, right? It's a birthday banquet. A birthday banquet and the daughter of Herodias who did some, we'll just say, immodest dancing. For the men. Pleasing Herod and luring him into promising her whatever she asked for. The girl must have been thinking, perhaps maybe it's something for myself. But her mother had different plans. Her mother, remember, had a grudge against John. And it says in verse 21, but an opportunity came. And she took it. As her daughter went to her and asked, what should I ask for? She said, John the Baptist's head. And, and notice that Herodias' daughter, 
quickly came back. Her mother hadn't told her John the Baptist's head on a platter, but she did. Bring John the Baptist's head on a platter. When a weak man is coupled up with a wicked woman, these are the things that happen. They're in cahoots. They do things that are absolutely evil and wicked. Because for him, he was saying, I have no alternative but to follow through with what I had promised, even if it was the head of a righteous man. But Herod is not the focus. John is. Let me give you a little bit more background as far as Herod is concerned. Herod had to put away his first wife in order to take on his brother's wife. Uh, his brother Agrippa, or actually the, the, um, uh, the, the father of his now banished wife, first wife, came against him, defeated him in battle. Then Agrippa, Herod's brother, um, banished Herod and Herodias uh, to a place called Gaul. And it was there that Herod and Herodias committed suicide. And so that was a little, just a, a little background as far as Herod is concerned. His character and what had happened with him and how it came about that he took his brother's wife. But again, Herod is a weak man. He is coupled up with a wicked woman. And they together beheaded John the Baptist. But that's not victorious over John. Sometimes uh, the world thinks that way. Oh, you, you have silenced the church. You have silenced this person. No, they have simply left. And they have simply just dusted off their feet as, to serve as a testimony against you. That's all that is. You see, John never backed down from telling the truth. What truth? Well, it pertains to God's word. Even if it offended people of authority or power or anyone else. You will never go wrong saying and doing what is right biblically because the only audience worth living and dying for is Christ Jesus our Lord and Savior and to live for his glory. Trust in the Lord. Be trustworthy. Preach the gospel. And preach repentance. And never, ever, ever back down. Called and sent to preach truth and repentance, and we must never back down. Martis, one who testifies, a witness. I encourage you this morning to be a witness of biblical truth and salvation known only in Jesus Christ. This is ultimately what a Christian is sent to. Again, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Whether a person receives truth and chooses to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, well, that's on them. And this morning, even as we have gone through what we've learned this morning, the question is, how about you? Why are you here? To respond 
to the word to receive it? Because you do one of two things. This is not a guilt trip. This is nothing but the truth. You either receive it or reject it. There's no in between. There's there's nothing in between. You either receive God's grace or you deny it. You push it away. Listen, tomorrow is not promised to anyone. And so I would implore you. I I know that God desires that none should perish, but all, all should reach repentance. You're here by no chance. And I hope and I pray that you respond to God's grace, salvation through Jesus Christ, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and you surrender your lives to Christ this morning. And at the same time, for those of you who are brothers and sisters in Christ who have already done that, I would hope that you better understand how you are sent to proclaim the gospel, come what may. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction upon each and every one of us. Lord, in some way, shape, or form, Lord, we are here, Lord, to hear the gospel, what we have just learned in your word. And so I ask, Father, that that conviction would lead to a repentance that leads to life, as your word says. And for anyone who does not know salvation in Christ, Lord, that very simply, Lord, if they believe, if they simply believe in Jesus Christ, that he has died for their sins, that not only was he crucified on Calvary, but he was buried and three days later rose from the grave, being victorious over sin and death, Lord, that they too would know salvation, the forgiveness of their sins. I pray, Lord, that this morning would be the day of salvation. So, Father, glorify yourself. Be with us. Fill us with your spirit. Go before us. May we simply follow. And always declare the hope that we have come to know in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray.